Computing Broadcast, a fascinating round in three, two, one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Hello, Fascination. Welcome to the show. So you may not be able to tell by listening to me, but I am, in fact, a native English speaker. Now, I don't know this because I can read and write in English as my first language. I know this because I realize just how crazy the English language is. Uh, from strange spellings to silent letters to to uh, words that don't rhyme that look I absolutely identical. The English language is filled with tons of crazy spelling rules, grammar rules, things that the average person trying to learn English is going to have a very difficult time doing. I understand this. And, you know, as an American, I don't even have the burden of having to learn other languages. So, now, well, I am happy about that to some extent. I do think that we in America have lost a little something. There's a, there's a connection to a culture once you learn their language, and I think it's important. And hopefully, we're going to learn a little bit more about English, understand it a little bit better, and learn a little bit about the history that makes it so weird Today, of all days, we're going to talk to Erica Orkrent, who wrote the book Highly Irregular, Why Tough Through and Doe Don't Rhyme. Uh, first of all, that's a great question to start off with, but the book is chock full of other crazy, weird English things that she tells us all about. How did it come to be, and why do we pronounce of, O-F, as O-V? That's another great question, one that I've had for a very long time. So we're going to get to the bottom of this, and hopefully we're going to pave over that rough road that is the English language, make it a little bit easier to drive on, i.e. speak. So Erica, thank you so much for being on the show today. So you were born in Chicago, are you? and you're still in Chicago? I'm from Chicago. What part are you in? I, Andersonville, Ravenswood, uptown Ravenswood. sort of area. Yeah. I've never heard of Ravenswood. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like where the, the metro tracks go. Nice. I like that it's Ravenswood. My dog's middle name is Ravenswood. So uh, so you're born in Chicago and you have a love of languages. And from what I understand, you're, you first taught Hungarian. My grandmother's Hungarian. Why, why Hungarian? Are you from Hungary originally? <laughs> well, it wasn't at first. I came to it a, a little late in my language career, but it was always there because my grandmother is a Hungarian native speaker, oh, and wow. um, and she was from uh, she was from Hungary. But then, when she was school age, it became Romania, and and it's still in Romania. She was from Hungarian speaking Transylvania. So I always had that in the family. Like Uh we have this Hungarian connection and then it became a, like, it's a strange German type thing that I, I had to, I had to check it out. That's amazing. I mean, I love that you even got the Transylvania in there. I mean, do you have like, uh, are you like an Edgar Allan Poe fan? I mean, are you got that Gothic touch or is it just the Transylvania (laughs) is cool or just happened to be that your grandmother was Hungarian? 
It's just a it's just a great thing to tell people. Oh yeah, my yeah. grandmother was Transylvanian Hungarian, yeah. <laughs> and her name was Gisela, so it's very exotic. Yeah, that's great. You know, it's funny because my gra- my grandmother's Hungarian, but she came here when she was six. I don't think she's a. I don't think she learned the language, but I wonder if there's a possibility that she is Transylvanian. Yeah, it could be. I don't know. Like the the it, I, I guess. It depends when she came over, what the situation was. Right. But uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, there's 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 not a big population in the U.S. Like this is where all the Hungarian community gathered. Uh, there was <laughs> right, a little yeah, yeah. one in yeah, yeah. New Jersey, I think. Like little but Transylvania. They're scattered yeah, around. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool, though. Little Transylvania. Uh, I'm sure someone's going to do that. So one other question here that that goes along that because I'm curious where this love of languages came from, and I'm hopefully we're going to kind of kind of get into that. But you also have a, a master's degree in American Sign Language from the only university that is for the deaf specifically. H- how does that work? And, and what got you into sign language? Because that's, you know, it's a silent language. And I, I always thought of you as like a, a verbal language person. Well, I heard about sign language in reading about languages. And the story at the time was the linguistics subject that you know, sign language has all the same things that now too, and that was amazing to me. How? In what way? Uh, what do you mean by that? And so I started taking courses just to to learn a little bit at Gallaudet. I was living in D.C. at the time, and I said, "Oh, there's this great resource. I'll go take classes there." And I started learning it there, and then I eventually ended in the the master's program in linguistics, which is taught through ASL completely, which wow. was it was a very strong stance the program took at the time. <laughs> this was in yeah. the 90s, and at the time, the rest of the univ- the rest of the higher degree you have to have some kind of hearing loss to be an undergraduate there. But the graduate oh, school had programs like audiology and deaf education. There were a lot of hearing people in those programs, and the classes might be taught in. Um, signed English, which is hmm. different, or a sort of combination signing speaking. Um, but the linguistics program took a strong stance that no, ASL is a full language that can do everything. We're going to teach all the classes in ASL, whether you're hearing or deaf, you have full access. Uh, and now the university is more like that across the board. But at the time, it was in a sort of indeterminate how what's our official policy on communication here and (laughs) linguistics new asl can do you can do every subject in asl and have full access for everybody so that's what we're gonna do so i really learned it that way because i had to that's like immersive i mean it's like dropped off into a country and having to learn otherwise you're gonna you know not be able to eat the next day or go to the bath find out where the bathroom is or the shoe store for god's sakes yeah, that's what it, it's an immersion experience. You want to learn Spanish, you go to Spanish speaking country yeah. and you got to do it. This is the ASL speaking country within our country and you will learn it cuz you have to. I, I did a whole episode. Uh, this is going to sound a little a little weird, but um there was this uh, actor named Al White. Have you ever seen the movie Airplane? 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you know the jive talking guy where they <laughs> they do that mm-hmm. whole thing. So to me, that is like one of the funniest gimmicks I've ever seen in a movie in a really long time. So I had that actor on, and he and his screen partner actually created that language for the movie. Uh, and it, and I had this whole conversation about you know what's now called African American vernacular English, but it was ebonics at the time. And I I made the stance about languages and how it's you know a subset of English, and he was on the other end of that saying. That that it's just really bad English. And what's the, the point that, that I'm making here, what's interesting about just that conversation is how languages, as you're mentioning, even, even in this uh, even in the school that's only for the deaf, languages in some ways can create in-groups and out-groups, you know, very much so, where you have, if, if you don't speak the language and you cannot communicate, you can't interact. And if you can't interact then you can't be a part of the group, uh, which is, you know, I think we love to think of it as a good thing, but in some ways that can be very dangerous. Um, do you find that? I mean, as someone who loves languages, how do you feel about that? Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like you can exclude people because you make judgments about their language and, you know, that's, that's not good. But um, in the case, at least with the case with uh, sign language is a little bit different because if you're deaf, the usual expectation is you adjust to the hearing world and you have to learn to lip read or speak, which is a thousand times more difficult than you have to learn Spanish or something because there's you you have to work that much harder in every communication situation but the hearing person can learn ASL it's hard you have it's like learning a language you're gonna mess up you're gonna have difficulty but you physically can do it and um like you can any other language Mm -hmm. and it's not it's not the same reversed it's not like well you can learn speech or I can learn sign language those are not the same one of them is much easier to do than the other uh and you know more fair all around. So I never felt like, you know, they're trying to exclude me by not using spoken language. It's they're doing the thing that, that we all are, that we all have the ability to do if we want to. Um, and it wasn't true the other way around. So sure. That's fair. um, I mean, they did try, they would have excluded you from learning there had you not been had you not had a hearing impairment as an undergrad which is a little different but it's it's this whole idea of languages are powerful is the point i'm trying to make i'm not trying to vilify uh you know the school no. but it, but it, but it's it's just an it's an interesting human phenomenon because communication is so important right and you know as i mentioned you know the the jive talking guy on airplane my band l white you know you did a whole book on invented languages i don't know if you did the the jive talk from airplane on there but if not you should make it appendix <laughs> No, so no. he really put a lot of thought and effort into it, uh, which is which is a fun listen. Um, but let's talk about the you know the book that that you just came out, came out with called "Highly Irregular: Why Tough Through and Doe Don't Rhyme." Um, now I'm I'm curious here. Now, have you been into weird spelling since birth? Because your name is Erica, but you spell it Arika. Uh, is is there anything that came through there? Were you trying to make you make spelling universal? Did this bother you? Uh, did it have any effect on this book at all? I don't think so. That was, I mean, that's my parents. That's on them. Sure. Uh, and it's, uh, it's something I always like both of my names. Okrent could be Akrent or mm-hmm. it's not clear how to pronounce either of my names. And all, 
I've always accepted all pronunciations. Like, sure, I'll be Arika Akron. Like, oh, <laughs> okay. Um, so, uh, so I don't know. I don't know if that had any direct effect, but certainly I, uh, I, so this book I did on invented languages was about the idea people have tried to cure language for a thousand years. Like, why can't we make a better one? Like make, let's make a language that you can only say perfectly logical things, or let's make a language that has completely <laughs> regular everything. Or yeah. Let's make a language you can only speak the truth in or whatever. This sure. idea comes up again and again and again. Yeah. And it never works because language cannot be engineered like that because it won't do the things we need it to do. And um, so I went from that idea, like, yeah, language is a mess, but it kind of has to be a mess. And then, okay, let's look specifically at the mess that is English because it has this reputation of being kind of more of a mess than other languages. Not, sure. not harder to learn. There are languages that are totally harder to learn you know, from from an English speaking starting point, but but like the writing system especially is unusual. Like no other language that uses the Latin alphabet is as inconsistent about its spelling. Its language, even Hungarian, has very regular spelling. Sure. Polish has very, like you can pick up a book and here are the here are on, on two pages. Here are the rules of spelling in this language. Well, you can't do that in English. The book is 400 pages. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to do that. Um, so yeah, why is English so weird? So that, that's, that's where it started from. I, mean, I think it's a great question. But, you know, on this invented languages, I mean, what, what strikes me about that is how language, as I mentioned before about it being specific, and sometimes it's very specific to cultures, it's specific to regions. It's it's really created when any group of people remain together and communicate with each other for a long period of time, which would, I would think, you know, if you look back to the sciences, you know, even human beings have these small little micro evolutions, right? I mean, even, even our skin color is related to the amount of vitamin D we need to produce, right? And so our bodies as human beings adapt perfectly to our environments. Um, and I think in some ways our language does the same thing. You can't create a language because languages evolve for a specific reason. I mean, I don't know if this is true. You can correct me if I'm wrong here, if, I, if I'm ignorant. But I think in Eskimo, there's like a hundred and some words for snow, right? Because you need, there's so many different types of snow. You have to have, a. if you're trying to talk about it, you can be very specific with snow. Whereas if you live by the equator, if you're in Brazil, I'm guessing they don't have quite as many words for snow. Um, but it's because the language is so specific to that group of people in that particular region. Um, is this why it's difficult to create, you know, like a language for all of mankind? Um, well, I have to to the the the, the Eskimo language thing is a big uh, bugbear in linguistics. That that's it's not oh. actually the case because we have we have a lot, lot of words for if you're a skier, you have a hundred words for snow too, based on the the things that you want to pay attention to. So it it is true that if you need you need words for the things in your environment and you need like a shorthand way to talk about them. And every group for anything has that, like there's academic language. There's, I don't know if you're a radio person, you have a whole vocabulary of jargon for talking about specific situations that sure. come up in your specific thing. So, yeah. um, so it's not like, I guess the objection is like, it's not so exotic to be like, Whoa, 
so many words for this thing. It's like, yeah, that's totally normal. Like if you, if you need it, you have it, but it's not, um, it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with your thinking capability, like how you perceive the world. You, you need it as a shorthand, but you're completely able to perceive those things. If someone, you just need a few more words to explain it. So I can tell you all the Eskimo snow words, what they mean specifically, um, and you will understand it. It's not cut off to your understanding or your your way of experience the, experiencing the world. Um, so yeah, now, now I've gotten far. I've gotten away from the question. Yeah, I think so because I mean, I, 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 you don't have to grind your axe on, on me, Erica, Arika, um, and I don't want to bring up any bugbears. You know, as a D and D player, bugbears can be can be very devious and, and dangerous. So I'm not trying to do that. But what I'm saying is that the point I'm making is not whether anyone outside can understand it. What I'm saying is that languages evolve for the people that are speaking it, and it evolves to be highly efficient. Uh, for the group of people that are speaking that language. And over time, it can become, uh, and I'm so, so I'm saying it's useful in that respect, but I mean, over time, you can have a language. Um, I mean, look at, look, at, look at all your romance languages, right? You got French, yeah, Italian, Spanish. I mean, those were all Latin at one point, right? I mean, and now you can't mm-hmm. really communicate yeah. between those countries because they've been isolated. They've, you know, their, their groups of people have been saying things differently. And, you know, as we're going to get to in your book, it happens with English as well. I mean, we're different from the British. I mean, I watch a lot of British shows. I'm doing a lot of research on Doctor Who for another podcast that I'm doing. So uh, I've been, you know, diving into that and it's different, different idioms, different phrases, different pronunciations. So all I'm saying is that languages become highly evolved and highly efficient for the groups of people speaking them. Not that anyone can't, you just, you know, you gotta, you gotta figure it out. Yes. Yeah. Language optimizes itself for the people that are using it. And that can be at, at various levels, like little, commu- your family has its sure. own optimized language because sure. you have the same things happening over and over again. And yeah. it's a little bit close to outsiders, but not totally, you know, but the bigger, you know, then you get bigger and then you get bigger and you get a whole nation, you know, you can go up various levels of how, how many people are participating in this, uh, this code or this, uh, uh, this convent that's happy to do things we do. Uh, and yeah, you can, you can go, wide angle and then you can close up at all at all different levels of how we're what we're doing and how what we're communicating about for sure and language will optimize to those things you can even have, you know, a, a group of girls I knew when I was growing up in middle school. You had, a, you know, a group of girls that had their own language that they would write little notes in, you know, pass them back and forth. So if the teacher got them, you couldn't understand it. I mean, you can get that myopic. You know, you can even go sc- scroll into like one or two people, a language between two or three people. Um, now, so as I think about this, there's one thing in your book I wanted to talk about, uh, and that is the Simplified Spelling Society. And I'm mentioning this because that sounds like this was a society created during the Great Vowel shift, I think, in the 1400s. And I'm assuming, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, I don't want this to be a bugbear. I, I mean, this is, if I'm bringing that up again, you let me know. Uh, but I assume... <laughs> oh, I'll let you know. You let me know. You let me know. Uh, but I assume that the <laughs> Simplified Spelling Society is a secret society of grammar police to keep us safe from the petty, petty word-based annoyances that exist in the world. Uh, am I pretty close? Uh, well, though, they're a modern, they're a modern invention. They're a 
why can't we just have it be simpler? Mm. Why, what, why is our writing so difficult? Why do we spend, we spend, have to spend years learning it and then we make mistakes and wouldn't it be great if we just spelled things how they sound? That would be so much easier, right? That's the idea. Um, but it's a, but how does it sound? <laughs> That's then you run into problems. Sure. Who's doing the talking? Right. Who's whose pronunciation are we spelling here? And if you look at what they come up with, it's so it's like let um you know I can has cheeseburger talk. It, it right. looks All hilarious your- <laughs> when you see when you see English written out phonetically. It yeah. just looks hilarious. Yeah, we're not used to that. <laughs> All your base are belong to us. That's another another famous meme. <laughs> uh, I mean, translations are a whole nother thing because I love translations. Uh, I find them to be funny because in a lot of ways, it's not just translating individual words, right? You're you're translating concepts and you're translating. Certain words in certain orders mean a different thing in one culture than they do uh, in the translating culture. I mean, it's so it's a lot of funny stuff that goes on there. Um, But, you know, as I mentioned, the Simplified Spelling Society, uh, I I like this idea of grammar police because you mentioned one thing in your book. This is one of my favorite uh, favorite quotes, and that's one era's annoying mistake is a future era's unimpeachable standard. Uh, it's kind of like what I was talking about um, with AAVE. There's Cajun speak as well. Um, there's lots of like sub dialects in America that in some ways, I mean, if you watch the movie, the TV show Swamp People, uh, I mean, there's there's subtitles underneath because you can't understand what's going on, whether it's pronunciation or word choice or word order. Um, but in some ways, you know, as we mentioned with, with the Romance languages, they're not following Latin rules. They're following French, Spanish, Italian rules. But those are the unimpeachable standards in French, Spanish, and Italian. Uh, it's an ever-evolving thing, and I love that quote. Yeah, that's what's I, that's what's going to happen to literally. So people <laughs> complain about literally, but it's it's speaking of bugbears, Erica. <laughs> yeah, in a hundred years, no one will bat an eye. It'll just be like very or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that in the book, which I thought was funny, is how it's become, you know, uh, what's the word you, what is the word for a uh, word that, uh, an amplifier, an intensifier, is that? Uh, yeah, in, yeah, intensifier. Okay, intensifier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, yeah, it is true because the word literally, it, it's not used correctly at all, but it's used hyperbolically, and it's the hyperbole yeah. that, that exaggeration is what creates the emphasis and it's, as you mentioned, it's the, the nitpicky people, it's the snobs, it's the people who get annoyed by those types of things like me, uh, who will hang on to that <laughs> until it eventually goes away and no one will know. And what, what, what's your prediction? Two or three generations? What do you think it'll be? Yeah, it's holding on a little longer because it got picked up as a thing to make fun of. Mm-hmm. And then it'll have a little bit of a longer life. Yeah. That there are others that people don't notice that, you know, so we never say really, we don't ever say oh, you're really hungry? You mean like in reality or you're really <laughs> tearing your hair out? Like, because that's what really means, right? It means right. it yeah, is yeah, yeah. real. It's real. So you really are tearing your hair out? Oh, you know, you don't, you don't mean metaphorically tearing your hair out? Yeah. It's, it's the same thing. It's the same objection sure. that we never make. We never make that objection, but why not? Like we pick on literally. I think I'm going to start making because I think that's absolutely hilarious. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to start. You should. <laughs> well, you, can, you can even do it for very. That's what very, very is from French, very, like truth. Oh, right. It yeah, means yeah, yeah. Tr- in truth. 
Oh, you mean in truth you're tearing your hair out? I thought you were just kidding. You, know, you, can, you can be annoying everywhere. You oh, can do it across the board. I love that. I love that. Well, that's what I strive to do, uh, as my family will tell you. Uh, I definitely try to do that. Well, I mean, and this proves a point, right, that English is an incredibly difficult language to learn. And, and in some ways, I think Americans have been spoiled because we don't really have to learn other languages uh, as much as, you know, if you're in Europe, I mean, it's pretty common to have two or three languages that you have to speak. Even if they're common romance languages, obviously they have similar structure. Uh, it's not the same, but it's it's close enough where you, you could learn it. Um, but but I think, you know, one of the things that I love, one of the things I wanted to, to switch to in the book is because having a real mastery of language is required in order to understand comedy. Like the things you just said are hilarious to me because, you know, you, but you have to understand English to get it. Um, you know, and in nowhere else does specific order and cadence, nowhere else is it so important as it is in comedy, both, you know, in, in structuring a joke and, and, and the delivery, uh, you know, maybe in law, but that's not as much fun. But you have this great, this great chat where you break down the joke, why does your nose run and your feet smell? Uh, the chapter, while incredibly informative, which I loved, is almost more, it's almost as unfunny as the joke itself, really. But that's what <laughs> happens when comedy, when you break it down to that respect. But I mean, what do you think about that? Do you think it requires, uh, what do you think about understanding languages to understand comedy? The new, and really what I'm talking about is the nuances of a language so that you can appreciate the silliness of it. Yeah, it, and it's the language, and it's what the language connotes. It's mm. what's, what's the the situations behind the language. If you're not familiar with them, then it doesn't work. And that's why comedy is also very generational. Like, yep, yep. It, you you look at old comedy, and you know it's very rare that it's a very rare talent that can like reach out across the generations with the comedy. Um, because those references, the the connotations, not just the language, but what it what it what it reminds you of, or what situations it puts you back into, that's important too, and that changes a lot. And um, yeah, it's it's hard. Yeah, it's it. There aren't many. Well, I mean, you got like Bob Hope, right? Like Bob Hope had, I mean, he lived to be almost 100. He had an 80-year career, or at least eight decades. Uh, I mean, it's true. I mean, the, the connections that you have, the references that you use to make people laugh, I mean, it is it is incredible. Um, and, you know, and the other part, you know, the thing that makes English so difficult and to master, uh, it's weird for a specific set of reasons. And it's probably important we, we mentioned why English is so weird. Um, and so this is, I, I think... I think I've encapsulated it here, but English is a Germanic language written by barbarians, French conquerors, Latin-speaking Latin -speaking missionaries, standardized by the printing press, and reified by the snobs who made strict rules people felt obliged to follow. Is that a pretty good summation? Yeah, it's it's uh, that's the uh, that's basically it. Like at its very foundation, it's a Germanic language, and then all this stuff got layered on top. And also, it was the the reification, as you say, the making the rules. Mm -hmm. um, that is all so recent. I mean, you know, recent in that like hundreds of years, not <laughs> not longer than that. Like, right. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. we're we're talking. Like when I I think of like the eighteen hundreds, <laughs> it's pretty recent. Yeah. You know, when you when it comes to language, sure. but um, English for a long time was a was one of these dialects that these swamp dialects that nobody respected or paid attention to 
and it went a long time without being written at all. Interesting. It wasn't a written language. It it was a written language in you know a thousand years ago, and the French came in and removed all the people who maintained that tradition. <laughs> and it wasn't. It was spoken. It continued being spoken by I guess you know the swamp people. Let's you know right. metaphor. Sure, sure. Um, but it didn't. It lost the writing system, and so it had to be reinvented a few hundred years later, and then, and then everything was different, and everything was pressed in in a little bit of a crazy way. Um, <laughs> With the printing yeah, press, like, I mean, pressed in. I mean, literally, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. In the in the actual yeah. true sense of the word, literally. Um, I mean, well, no, I guess yeah, no, it was pressed. That is literally yeah. either correctly. Yeah, You're yeah, right. yeah, yeah, and it was pressed. With letters, which is what literally is. So, so, uh, exactly. so I use literally in the most literal form. Uh, and so, yeah. I mean, I, I want to give myself credit. Um, but, you know, and, and here's, I think you use this metaphor in the book as well, which which can give people kind of a sense, is that, you know, modern English is a road with many layers, and each was laid down and made more permanent by each culture that held the reins of the language for whatever period of time. And I think that that's also important to think about as well, because, you know, while we look at a road, we can see the asphalt on top. We don't think about the soil that's holding it up underneath, which is really the foundation. And a lot of ways, you know, you mentioned the barbarians. I like that the, I didn't know that this is how the word barbarian came to be, but it's basically people who did not speak Greek. And it was their way of making fun of those people by saying bar, 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 as if that's what they sounded like when they talked. So the word barbarians basically came, is that right? It came from a way that people made fun of how other people spoke. Yeah, and specifically Germanic peoples. So the the Latin speakers, the Greek speakers, they're listening to these like wah, wah, wah language, you know, blah blah blah, bar bar bar. Sure. <laughs> so they're barbarians. That's why it's the you know the Germanic non non Roman Empire uh, languages that are that are just they're just nonsense. Blah blah blah. <laughs> That's what for, that's how language English was laid down. <laughs> well, I mean, it's funny to think that you know even snobbery <laughs> was in effect at the beginning of English, right? I mean, it's funny that the snobs, as you mentioned in your books, you know, the the, the snobs kind of uh, uh, they made all the rules, but they're that those are the same types of people who lived in the Greek and Roman times that made fun of the language in the first place and and made it into a as you know the I guess we're going with the metaphor of the swamp people language, um, but you know the people that the language that uh, the average the the uneducated folks used right um, and and so it, you also mentioned I didn't mention this in my standard in in my definition here but the Vikings also came by um, and they were you know they kind of were involved in some of the interesting spellings which I thought was kind of weird how long were they kind of involved in shaping English? Um, for a few hundred years, but they weren't, they weren't invaders in the way that the French were. So they came in and did raids and settled down and mixed with the population, or maybe they went back um, and in that way got their, their own version. They also spoke a Germanic barbarian language version, which was pretty close but different so they could add some mixed things in to the languages um but it wasn't a wholesale um governmental type takeover it was it was more individualized so so they didn't they didn't tear down the writing system in the way that the french invasion did um so but it but it lasted long enough that uh that they got they either got absorbed into what it was already going on on the 
um, they came and went and and left some vocabulary or expressions, but not um, not a wholesale structural uh, change. They kind of like regional flavor. They kind of added, you know, some spellings here, some pronunciations there. You know, they were here for a while, had some influence, but you know. Not uh, didn't do the whole, yeah. the whole thing. Okay, well, and that makes sense. I mean, because there's so many hands in the pot, there's so many cooks in the kitchen. You know, we get any l- number of metaphors. There's a lot going on with English, and I think I want to talk about some examples because I think when you hear some of the examples and how they came to be, it's difficult to give you know without being super boring, give an overarching view of how English changed over the years. But I think the individual examples tell a lot, and I've got one here that wasn't in your book, but it's very topical. Because the Chiefs are playing the Bills this weekend in the NFL, um, and you do talk about how thief, how the, the the pluralization of thief is very weird. But the pluralization of chief, while chief and thief do rhyme, they are pronounced the same way. They are not pluralized in the same way. And before you give your answer, I'm going to give what I believe. I'm going I'm to make a hypothesis here, Erica, uh, that chiefs is a much newer word having been introduced with European colonization. Um, and thief had been around, you know, since goods, I imagine, <laughs> since people had, since people made bread. Uh, so I'm guessing that's the reason, and it didn't quite have the influence of the strange pluralization, but I'm going to let you explain it, and we'll see how see if I'm right. Yeah, I mean, the old Germanic words like thief and wolf, and they have the v, the thief, thieves, wolf, wolves. Chief, I think, comes from, I think it's related to French chef. It's like the the top person. The, the and, and yeah, so that would be hmm. not on the old layer. That would be the later layer. So good, very good. That's you, close. You've got the... Uh, you you got a, a you're making an assumption based on the you know the sound systems <laughs> that were laid on one after the other and they're different from each other. Yeah. So I was close. <laughs> I was close. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's a pluralization. So it's based on. Uh, so it's an old word. So it's based on the Germanic pluralization of it. Is that what you're saying? Well, English at its in its base old format didn't have a f and a v sound. There was only the v was introduced by at the French level, we, but we did have, we did say that we had the V, but we didn't have, we didn't hear them as different sounds. I see. If you think about it, they're the same sound, the same mouth shape. F, v, v. The only difference is your vocal cords are vibrating on one and not on the other. Oh, interesting. Um, so we didn't hear those as, we didn't hear them as different sounds, but we would adjust the sound because, because there was a vowel after it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, we still have sounds like that. We don't hear the difference that are used in other countries. Or other languages make two different sounds. And other, there's English sounds that other countries, they don't hear the difference, and we do. And, you know, it's, it's very specific the way languages carve up the space of sounds that we can make. Yeah. Officially, but then once we had a spelling system, we spelled them differently. No, and I think that makes sense. I mean, I remember being in school and learning Spanish and French and, you know, especially Spanish. There's so many subtle little um, pronunciation differences that a native speaker can hear if you're not pronouncing them correctly. Um, But if you're, you know, if you're an English speaker, as you mentioned, there's those subtle differences that that are key uh, to language. And you mentioned the, the O and the V. 
I mean, of is another one that I, I'm so glad you mentioned in your book. OF, you know, the state of affairs. Uh, it's not the state of affairs, right? Uh, that was always so weird to me. Is that is it a similar similar reason for that as well? Yeah. So off the word we have off and of those were the same word, but one was stressed version and one was unstressed version. And so so we said them. We always said OF as of, but in our we didn't hear it. We heard it as the same word as off, but we, we said it differently based on, you know, various sound rules when things are next to each other, but they were the same word to us. Um, but, but now, you know, you wouldn't think that you wouldn't consider them the same word, right. but originally there, that's why it has an F because it's just the word off in a, you know, a unstressed pronunciation. So. so it'd be like state off affairs. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, the meanings are kind of similar, too. It's like going away from some of, from, Oh, I guess so. Off, okay. You know. Okay. But, yeah, they're definitely, they're definitely different words. It feels like a stretch, but you're the expert, so I'm going to say that you're, you're probably right. But that, I guess that makes sense. Uh, one of the things that, you know, you mentioned the, the different pronunciations and you did, you know, you did it with your voice. I, I, I'm actually embarrassed that I didn't know this, but in the book you mentioned the difference between consonants and vowels, and consonants are just sounds that are formed by impeding air, by stopping its flow, by stuttering <laughs> it or whatever, changing it, and vowels are sounds that let air freely through. Uh, I, I didn't realize that, but that when you start to think about that, language starts to really make a lot of sense. But one thing that doesn't make sense to me, Erica, and I'm so glad, again, you covered it in this, but you, you really got a lot of stuff. You got to, you cleared my brain out a little bit because a lot of things in English were really messing with me. But Colonel, right? I went to school with a kid. Uh, we called him the Colonel. His last name was Kern. Uh, and I, I loved calling him the Colonel. I'd always salute him whenever I saw him. But his name, his name started with a K and it made sense. Colonel, as we see in the army, is C-O-L-O-N-E-L. -E I never spell it correctly. I'm looking at it. I'm cheating right now. I'm looking at my, my notes here. So from what I understand, this is basically French, Italian spelling, and a French pronunciation. But how did this come to be? It's just a summarization, summarizing it. What's the real deal here? Uh, well, yeah, we first, we borrowed it from the French originally, and they said... Coronel, mm. and we said coronel, and then we shortened it to carnel, colonel. Coronel sure. became colonel. <laughs> right. And this, you know, and but then later people started looking at the original Italian military treat. A lot of our vocabulary for military terms comes originally from Italian because they had all these documents about organizing armies and stuff and they had a lot of so the people in the you know the era of the snobs they start going back to the originals in italian where it's colonello ah. so the, the french had changed it to coronel from colonello and that happens l l and r get switched out all the time everywhere so many times so many words it's very typical so it wasn't surprising they did that but then they started reading the originals and said oh well it's Colonello, so we should spell it that way to show that we know, we know. the ultimate etymology of this word. Sure. And the French also started saying colonel. Their word is now colonel. They switched back. Oh. <laughs> but we didn't. <laughs> we decided to keep the nice snobbed up etymology spelling of colonel because that's, you know, the right way. Uh, and 
yeah, that's that's how we ended up with this this mess. Um, but it was one step at a time where someone's making not it's not someone coming down and saying, "Here's the decision. Let's do it this way." It's different people making different decisions at different times, and there's no coordination, and we end up with this crazy kernel situation uh, and you just got to learn it too bad <laughs> the kernel the kernel situation <laughs> I like that well there's another situation that you mention in the book and, and i think this one you know this this plays on people's insecurities and definitely played on mine and it's the word octopus and words that are similar to this and uh, you've got a great youtube video i'm going to put a link to it on the website where you talk about this uh Octopus is strange, you know, uh, octopus, platypus, rhinoceros, making them plural, it, it, it messes with us, right? Like, because we sometimes want to go to the to the Latin pluralization. We don't, we think that, you know, make, saying octopuses is, is, you know, colloquial. That's what the commoners say. It's octopi or octopods or, you know, whatever. But it's not true. How did this become you know, such a mess? It, it snobs, I'm assuming, uh, but I want to hear the real reason. Yeah, it's going back to Latin, which was very in style in the 1600s. That that's we're like, this is when English is starting to become a big language. It's not the swamp people language. Now we've got Milton and Shakespeare, and you can write philosophy in English, and you can do all these big things in English. But is English really ready for that? Right. Like English, you're going to do philosophy in English. Well, maybe we need to. English out a little bit, you know. Well, you know, what's the the language for doing those fancy things? Latin. Okay, Latin. Like, let's Latin it up. Right. Uh, and that's when you started getting all these Latin terms with with their spellings, and then not we don't change the pronunciation, but we take in the you know, indict. We put the c in there because that's the indictus or whatever it is in Latin. So that's how we're going to spell it. Yeah. So the. So we, that's how we're putting it in. We're, we're, we're gussying up the language. So we don't say, um, you know, we, we use the Latin plural forms too. And we don't say datas, we say data. Mm. We don't say um, schemas, we say schemata right. or whatever. Sure. Um, and a lot of those, you know, no, nobody really says schemata anymore. But there's some that we cannot let go of um, that we just keep the Latin plural and um, and yeah, octopus is one of those that has an extra layer of snob on top of it because <laughs> the proper it, it sounds like it should be octopi, right? Because right? it's cactus, cacti. Right. But no, oct the pustin octopus is is a Greek ending. It's the foot, eight feet octopus. It should be octopodes. <laughs> um, if you're really if you really want to be proper about yeah. it. And and so then those people started, you know, if you said octopi, that was another way to be like an extra snob on top. Like, well, you say octopi, but it's actually octopodes. <laughs> and you, 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 you could one up and um, and it's all it's all ridiculous because it should just be octopuses. Like it's an English word. We should have an English plural. Um, but everyone's got this this flinch of like the teacher is going to slap my wrist with the ruler right, yeah. if I say it wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it makes people do crazy things, that flinch that you get from your education or from feeling unsure yeah. um, makes you manipulate. You don't usually, it's a natural way of speaking. 
it's a it's the defensive way of speaking by trying not to make a mistake. And it usually makes you make more mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, no one wants to be the ignorant dope who's saying octopuses when it's supposed to be octopodes. Uh, oct- wait, hold on. I'm going to get this right because I'm going to start <laughs> saying this. It's o- octopodes. Yeah, but don't ever but don't ever use it because it's like. But so much worse to say octopodes now. Oh, like then, no, it's fun. Then you're like a super. No, it's fun, Eric. <laughs> no, 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 no. Jerk, no, yeah. this is fun. Octopodes <laughs> is what it is. Because on on one of my other shows, we there's an ongoing conversation about how do you pluralize octopus? Because I bring them up because they're such an intelligent creature, <laughs> and because they're so intelligent, and I'm arguing they can probably read and understand English. I think we need to call them octopodes. Uh, so I'm doing that from now on. Now you buried the lead here a little bit, Erica, because these <laughs> words belong to the Latin second declination. And that sounds pretty serious. Um, and that's basically just a way that words are pluralized. Is that what second declination means? Because there's also a third declination, and I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm mispronouncing that. The, the proper plural ending depends on which of those categories it's in. So, yeah, you got to know a lot to get it right. But let me give you a couple other ones since you're going to go full octopodes. Yeah. Yep, all right. You can, all right. Al- you can also use... Platypodes for the platypus. Ah, yes, I like them. Because that, that is also the pus, is the foot ending. Yeah. And here's a really good one. What's the plural of rhinoceros? Rhinocerates. Yep. <laughs> I was going to say, I got a cheat sheet right here. Yeah. Rhinocerates. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going like to go full octopodes. If you go full rhinocerates, you'll definitely impress or <laughs> anger plenty of people <laughs> impress may not be what happens but it's what i'm going for um but i definitely think you know here's here's another one these the the, the strange spellings the irregular verbs i mean these are the things i'm always drawn to because they're so weird and you raise a, a great question in the book which is why isn't moose meese since goose is geese um, and you've got, you know, you've got lots of other, str- you know, m- mouse becomes mice, um, men, uh, man becomes men, which isn't, that one isn't as exciting. Um, but I love this idea. Wh- why is it not, why is it not meese? Uh, I mean, if we're going to say octopodes and rhinocerates, why not say meese? Right. If I was going to sit down and make, here are the rules for how we do things. It should have some consistency, right? The words yeah. that sound the same should be pluralized the same. Um, but yeah, m- or geese, goose geese, that comes from the oldest, oldest layer from those barbarians and it's stuck around and have it barons and it's going to be irregular somehow. Um, but moose is really new. Like this is, we didn't have the moose in the English until we got to the new world. Um, how are we going to make a plural out of that? Well, not the old way, but also not mooses. We don't say moose it's just moose two moose three moose um and that is that is like that's also weird and irregular and also comes from the barbarian tradition of animals that you hunt are don't get a plural you you hunt turkey right you don't hunt turkeys you You can say turkey when you're talking about an animal in the context of things you hunt or fish you you get fish, not fishes. Right, right. You can say fishes when you mean like different kinds of types of fishes, can but you? you fish, fish. Yeah, like uh, this restaurant serves many fishes or whatever. That you, it's possible to do. See, I would cock my eyebrow at that, Erica. 
I, I would if someone's of whether we can say fish yeah, yeah. If someone was in like a sushi restaurant and they were like, oh yeah, yeah, I want you to try many fishes. I'd be like, I, I, I think it's fish. Mm-hmm. I think it's fish. But I don't. I could be wrong. You're the expert. Uh, <laughs> but I'm just telling you, as a snob and as a as an ignorant snob in training, uh, I would cock my eyebrow. <laughs> well, it will be very dependent on the context. So if you're really focused on the thing, the fish, the moose, the the squirrel, you can have a squirrel. You can say. Um, when you're hunting, you hunt. You can hunt squirrel, even though you can also see ten squirrels running around ah, the yard. Okay. Yeah, right? yeah, so yeah. it's sort of the context depends. So if it's a context of like we're collecting this for food by hunting or fishing, then it's that's you do that. You don't. don't it doesn't take a plural marker. Um, so so yeah, you can get caught between and not be quite sure. Like fishes, fish or. Well, what context are we in? <laughs> obviously, we say right. turkeys. Yeah. You know, we say two, two turkeys. We can also say, I'm out hunting turkey. Yeah, you can. Um, yeah. Without it being wrong. You know? So moose, we see in this hunting context most of the time. And not very often in an individuated, you know, two mooses in my yard situation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that sounds a little wrong. But you can get there i mean it's not it's not like oh totally wrong sounds really ridiculous doesn't even sound like english there's this flexibility in plural marking uh, when it comes to animals based on what are we doing with them what's their role in this thing we're talking about right which just adds another layer of complexity uh, almost unnecessary uh i'm gonna you know i I think we should spell kernel with a k and i think it's octopodes it's renacerates and it's meese i think we're we're, uh, if i'm creating a language and i think that's really what we're (laughs) doing here erica we're working out all the bugs and we're going to build ourselves a language. That's what I'm going with. Um, but you bring up this another great thing in the book, which I never thought about. And I don't even really know if you have an answer to it. But it's interesting to talk about. And that's the word sew, S-E-W, like you're going to sew your clothes. Uh, it doesn't rhyme with crew, C-R-E-W, new, grew, blue, stew, and a whole other words, a, slew, a whole slew of other words. Um there is no pair. There's nothing that rhymes with it. And there's other words like how, H-O-W, has now, cow, and plow. And low, L-O-W, which isn't low, um, is snow, flow, grow. They have pairs. So doesn't. Why is that? And, and you tie it to this very strange English city. It's got a strange story to it, Erica. That's why I love it, I think. <laughs> yeah, the Shrewsbury. Shrewsbury. Yeah. How do we say this town? They don't even know. Like, there's a conflict in the town right. about is it Shrewsbury, Shrewsbury, yeah. uh, and that EW. We've gone back and forth with it in English. So, is it shoot when you strew things? Are they strewn about or are they strewn about? Like, and and we switch the E and the O. If you look back at Shakespeare, they're going to spell it this way, that way. It's it's gone back and forth a lot. The E O. And but so landed in this really awkward place where we decide we decided it's S E W and we decided it's so and those two things don't match at all and doesn't match up with like you said the teams of words usually we have a team of words that like okay that's that's how we say it because there's these ten other words that are also said with that spelling and so just got left out um, <laughs> but yeah I don't know what they're I don't know what's going on in Shrewsbury now but. Um, but yeah, that's it's strange that a community that actually 
is the it's most important to them right how it's pronounced they can't even really decide <laughs> yeah i think we should revisit it i mean i think you know it could be another book I, i'm just giving you tons of ideas here we're spitballing you're free to use them as you <laughs> wish but where are they now in shrewsbury i'd love to know where they've landed on this <laughs> i mean it may have you know ramifications for the entire english language i'm curious what they came up with um but i, I want to close with something that i thought when you when you deal with numbers when you deal with math it's logic. It's reason. There's a system. By you know, just by their very essence, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be an order to it that anyone can follow. From one, you know, uh, infinity is not a number, but into infinity, any number between one and forever, right? But there's we got some weird stuff going on here um, with eleven and twelve. Why is it? You make this great question. Why is it not one teen, two teen? Three teen. Uh, I mean, that's a really interesting question. And there's a couple of other um, questions I have that you bring up in the book right around that area, right? Like numbers are pretty consistent, but there's this little rough spot after 10, before 20, where things get weird. Why is that? Well, the, the words, numbers are kind of new in human, uh, I mean, okay, new in the sense of not uh, thousands of years old. For, for a long time, we didn't have to use numbers much more than 10, right? I mean, 10, we're going to have, every language is going to have like the numbers to 10. And then above that in the twenties, thirties, forties, there'll be some strange things happening. But once you get up to the hundreds, it's totally, ir- it's totally regular. Cause when you're talking about those big numbers, we have our system down, but that middle ground between the first 10 and then the 30, 40 or yeah. so, those became a little more common later, but still using a system. But then we are saying 11 and 12 and 13, a lot more than we're saying 37. Right, right? yeah, so yeah. The things are true. The things around us in our life are going to be 13, 12, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. And then it's not, we're not counting in the 20s so as much. And then we're not counting in the 30s a lot less and then you know go the higher you go the more we're not using those numbers over and over again and that's how you get irregularity especially when you when you hit your 30 when you hit your 30s you stop using numbers i mean i've stopped counting at 29 you know (laughs) yeah right so why should we why should we have any repeating of those words and that's it's the repetition that makes you you know you always remember the songs that were popular when you were 12 you know you're saying 12 12 12 12 12, 12, you're never going to switch to, you know, 10, 2 or right. some more regular, <laughs> sensible way of saying it. No, just it's just the just the repetition makes the irregularity stay because we repeat it so much. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you mentioned, you know, I think you have an answer for it. But the other interesting thing about, you know, again, 13, 14, is you mentioned if you're in the 90s, it's 95, right? If you're at 13, it's Thur is in three teen. It's not teen three like ninety five should be teen or ninety three teen three, um, and it, so that's that's another it's weird part of this whole thing. But you mentioned that it started with the Germanic uh, word. Basically, the way it's pronounced is ten with one left over is eleven. Uh, Twelve <laughs> is is you know ten yeah. with two left over whatever. Um, so yeah. why did that yeah. stop at three? Is it why is twelve like the magic number where you know? The kid goes from being 12 and a kid to being 13 and a teenager. Well, 12 is a magic number. Like mathematically, 12 is, is the, it's a number that has the most um, 
factors that can go into it. It's how we divide up the time and the calendar. It's, it's, it's the tens the we have this, you know, base 10 system that we use, but other places use this base 12 system. And it's, you know, I don't get into it, but it is considerably, it, it is considered the most mathematically magical to use a base 12 system where things are based mm. on the number 12. And it makes, they, they think it's has, might have something to do with the way we count on our fingers. Um, you know, we, you'd think 10 fingers ten, make 10, but there's other ways of counting where you like touch each knuckle of your finger with your thumb, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, okay. that make a 12. And they think that's sort of a very basic, ah. um, you know, proto-human way of divided counting numbers uh, that leads to 12 being important. So, so you're right, 12 is a magical number, not just because some strange shift happens that age to becoming a teenager, but because the number 12 is mathematically magical. So, you know, we probably also, we just at some point, only counted up as far as 12 <laughs> for the things that we do in normal life. Well, let me, I'm going to throw you, let me see what you think about this, because, you know, there's, when it comes to the alien phenomenon, some people think that they had six fingers. There's a lot of study in the ancient alien, tech, in the ancient alien belief system that aliens came down and gave us all kinds of mathematical and scientific equipment. Do you think that those aliens came down and counted on their six fingers on each hand, and that's how we got the magic 12 number? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> I don't know about their, what their language would have yeah. been. We'll have, we have to uncover some documents. Sure. Well, we have to declassify some documents, I guess is a better way to say it. Uh, but yeah, one thing right. we, can, we should declassify immediately is how people can get in touch with you if they want to learn more about your stance on ancient aliens or even you know something that you're probably <laughs> more versed in, which is the weirdness of English. Um, and invented languages, which which I love your work. How can people get in touch with you? Where can they find your book and you know social media, all that stuff? Um, pretty much, my name leads to all those things, which is weird because my name is Erica A R I K A and Okrent O K R E N T. Um, but yeah, to find my website, a YouTube channel with a bunch of videos about uh, illustrate videos about language stuff uh, and. Um, and yeah, various writings and and um, books on language, but it's but yeah, it's all it's all findable um, with my name because so, my name because I'm the only one. <laughs> you are the only one. Do you have a website that you have all this stuff uh, <laughs> on in any one spot? Yes. Yeah, so ericaokrant.com has all the links to all this stuff and uh, and with which is you know this ika. Okrent.com. Um, all the things are collected there. Yes. Well, I will put links to. I'll put links to all of that so that people can find it very easily. You got, I know you're active on Twitter as well. Um, but this has been enlightening and educational. And Erica, I love the book, and I thank you for your tips on how to make me a better snob. Because in <laughs> truth, isn't that all? Isn't that what we're all really searching for? Uh, so thank you so much uh, for being on the show and educating me this way. It's all about lording it over people. So, yeah, enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night.
Fascinating Nouns is a Glencoe production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. Now, if you like the show, you've got to subscribe. You can find us on all the major podcasting platforms. And if you don't have a favorite podcasting platform, never fear. We got you covered. You can go to fascinatingnouns.com, scroll to the bottom, and you can find every place you can locate us and find one that fits your lifestyle. Fascinatingnouns.com is the place to go because it is also there that you can find the show on YouTube. Yes, we have a live video version of the podcast now on YouTube. YouTube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn is where you find it. And that is not the only place where you can find the show on social media. We got links to our shows, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, YouTube, and of course, Instagram, right there, fascinatingnouns.com is the place to go. And if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do, go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening. End of transmission.